Let us pray. Holy shaper of hearts and minds, as Jeremiah came to know you in the work of the potter's hands, teach us your ways and the reading of your word. Lead us into a deeper understanding of your ways that we may know and do your will. Amen. Please listen attentively and may God bless these readings of his holy word. The first reading is Deuteronomy 5, uh, verses 6, and then 20 through 21. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. And you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. And today's gospel reading is Luke uh, chapter 18, verses 18 through 30. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Last week of the Ten Commandments! Yay! Unlike uh, many summer sermon series that I've done before, I didn't actually get sick of this one by the end of it. I'm not sure what it's like from your perspective out there, but sometimes I get like two-thirds of the way through 1 Corinthians or Romans, and I think, oh my goodness, I can't handle any more of this. Um, but this one has been fun and exciting and engaging for me, and I hope that it has for you all as well. So this morning we're kind of wrapping that all up, 
and uh, briefly covering these last two commandments, um, these commandments about false witness and about coveting. And this commandment about bearing false witness is another one of those that is often simplified for children. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor is often pared down to don't lie, which is a pretty good takeaway because honesty matters and the idea of false witness and testimony and all of that is a bit much for most children. And sure, there are times when honesty can be a gray area. If your spouse asks you if they look fat in something, tread lightly and rely on the grace of Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters. The problem with simplifying scripture for children comes when we don't go deeper, when we fail to complicate it for ourselves when we get older. Jesus is endlessly making things more complicated and stirring the pot. It is woven into who we are as a faith. So if it seems too simple, it probably is. Remember that these commandments are not a checklist of steps to get into heaven. They are a description of what a faithful community under the grace and protection and love of God looks like. Community is complicated, but there are still some general guiding principles that we can go by. And these last two commandments are about guarding the reputation and the livelihood of others. Don't bear false witness. Don't spread or allow the spread of rumors or lie about what another person has done. This isn't just about lies in general. This is specifically about the reputation of another person. Anyone who has ever had a rumor spread about them or who has been lied about in court or lost a job because of a false accusation knows the damage that false witness can do to a person. This commandment is talking about a specific type of lie, one that is about another person. And then when we look at coveting, we need to think about what is at the root of jealousy or covetousness. I want that thing. I deserve that thing. I deserve that thing at least as much as that person does. We begin to see ourselves as more worthy and the other person as less worthy. Now, I'm going to risk being a little political this morning and talk about something that a president of the United States did. I hesitate to bring up politicians in sermons, especially in this current political climate, but I think that this is a great example of what I'm talking about today when we talk about truth and lies and coveting and guarding other people's reputations and livelihoods. So I apologize in advance if we have any staunch Grover Cleveland advocates or opposition here today because I'm going to share a story about him. Please bear with me. It is said that when Grover Cleveland was a boy, he insisted upon returning the egg that a neighbor's hen daily laid on the Cleveland side of the fence. Thus, he early began to give proof of the honesty that marked him as a man and a future president of the United States. Faithfulness to high principles in such little things leads to honesty in matters of greater importance. 
The book that I found this story in certainly does have a flair for the dramatic, (laughs) but I think that there is a nugget of beauty in this particular story. One of the things I love about really old sermon illustration books is that sometimes they are a downright hilarious product of a time gone by. But this is a gem inside of a dramatic old sermon illustration. If you think about it, it's just an egg. But what he did with the egg spoke volumes about the way he viewed his literal neighbor with whom he shared a fence. Chickens are not bright animals. I have lived with chickens, and they are quite dumb. They have no concept of fences or property or territory or anything like that. My neighbors were constantly shooing our chickens back over to our house or calling us to send the kids to get our chickens out of their garage. And had one of my hens ever laid an egg in the neighbor's yard, I would not have been too worried about it if the neighbor had had that egg for breakfast. It's just one egg. The hen will lay another one tomorrow. But Cleveland saw an egg that was laid by someone else's dumb chicken and took it to them because it was theirs. He didn't care for their chickens. It wasn't his egg. This was not finders, keepers, losers, weepers. His neighbor and his neighbor's property was so important that he even took back an egg. That's how important the reputations and the livelihoods of the people around us are. Even the smallest interaction with another person speaks volumes about the way that we see the people around us. Just look at how Jesus poo-poos this ruler in our Luke text. First of all, I love this. Like a good Presbyterian, Jesus says to him, come on, nobody's good, everyone's a disaster. (laughs) But then he goes on to tell this ruler exactly where he's a disaster. This guy has technically followed all the commandments pretty well for his entire life. He cares about going to heaven. This matters to him. But Jesus calls him out. Getting himself into heaven mattered so much for this guy that he ignored the people around him. He was technically following the rules, but he was living a selfish life, failing to care for those around him. The way we treat others matters. The way we view others, the way we talk about others, the way we allow others to be talked about matters. And it's harder, Jesus tells this rich ruler, for those who have much because there is more to lose, more to give up in order to care for others and to participate in God's kingdom. It's easy for Bill Gates to give billions of dollars to charity when he makes $33 million a day. But how much of a sacrifice is that for him? I'm not making a judgment on Bill Gates for the record, but can you imagine if he sold everything? Not just gave a ton of money to great causes, but literally sold everything and went off to physically help the poor in another place. Oprah gives a ton of stuff to people all the time, but Oprah is super rich. What's another car to Oprah? Can you picture the media uproar if she actually sold and gave away everything she has to become a nun or a missionary? Now, Jesus isn't saying that that giving a little bit of what you have doesn't matter. 
He isn't saying that everyone has to be Mother Teresa or Jim Elliot. He's making the point that the more you have, the harder it is to make the sacrifices necessary to really live into God's community fully. It's not easy for anyone, but the more comfortable you are, the harder it is. Now we have officially looped back to the very beginning of this sermon series. It all boils down to this, community and how we live it out. What what we have to do as a congregation to continue into the future is to figure out how to be community modeled after God's kingdom. The other article that I found this week talks about four types of churches that are thriving these days. Instead of worrying about why are churches closing, how about we figure out why some of them aren't, why they're doing well. And I have copies of the article. It's lengthy and wordy, but I do have copies of it for anyone who's in for a lengthy, wordy article today. But I want to sum up some of this uh, for you. It talks about these four types of churches that are thriving these days, and they look very different than the traditional Sunday-centered church, even if they have Sunday morning services. But they're still doing the work of the church. They're still growing. And the thing that they all have in common is community. The article begins by saying between 6,000 and 10,000 churches in the U.S. are dying each year. That means about 100 to 200 churches will close this week. This pace will accelerate unless our congregations make some dramatic changes. Now, it's tempting to see statistics like this and start looking for a fall guy. Blame politics, blame the Internet, blame millennials. But another approach is possible. Instead of focusing on solving the intractable problem of why churches are closing, forward-thinking leaders will try to learn from models that are thriving. And here are those four models of churches that are doing well these days. The first is dinner church. I don't know how many of you have heard of dinner church before. We've had a few of them here in Pittsburgh. But this is a community, a community that literally gathers together around a meal once or twice a week. And their worship service is around that meal. They do the things that we do here around a table. And they end their meal with communion. Anyone's interested in checking that out, I know a couple of these that happen around the city. I'd be happy to tell you when and where to show up to check it out. Um, But it's a very unique way of doing things, and it mirrors a lot of what we see in the New Testament in the early Christian church. The second is what they call underground network, which sounds really dark and exciting, (laughs) like there's some sort of rebellion happening here or something. Um, But it is micro churches and little ministries that have kind of gathered together in in a way. Uh, So some of the micro churches that have either originated at the underground or joined for support and fellowship include The Well, a group dedicated to creating spaces in which to forge community with the poor. This includes a weekly meal, affordable groceries, community meals, a mobile unit distributing material goods, and a bicycle co-op. Flourish, a community where nurses and healthcare workers come to be loved, encouraged, empowered, and sent out to be the hands and feet of Jesus in their profession. 
burning bush. A network of artists and creative professionals serving and helping each other play their part in the body and ushering an era of intentional missional diversity and creativity within the community. In other words, folks are getting together for church, but then they're starting these little communities outside in their own circles of whoever they are to do God's ministry. Rather than having one church with its own set programs, Those people who are running those programs are worshiping together. The blended ecology. Be the church within the community. The church was originally driven by a single economy revolving primarily around the inherited Sunday liturgical gathering. As they multiplied into various fresh expressions throughout their community, the church became a mixed economy with a traditional gathering and satellites. As this approach has matured, both forms, the inherited church and the fresh expressions, so the regular Sunday morning that they were all used to and all these other things that they were doing throughout the week, have grown into a single blended ecology where different forms serve and enrich each other. In other words, there were other things happening, kind of like satellite ministries of the church, that then people began to transfer back and forth between the two. And so what started out as two separate things kind of became one and the same. And as we talk about community partnerships and being out in our communities, this is the kind of thing we're talking about, these these micro-church expressions, this blended ecology stuff, where, yes, Sunday morning is very important, but what we're doing out here is also very important. And then the last one is campus and community ministry, where churches are bringing in students from local colleges and helping them figure out ways to be engaged in the community in different um, social and community ways. It's great if you're in Oakland. Doesn't work so much if you're in Emsworth or Swickley because all the colleges are out that way. But it's another really interesting model of church that is thriving these days. So here is your homework this week, because that is a lot to think about. First of all, take those flyers, get them to people, let them know what is happening here. And so what if like 82 people come to the pet blessing on October 5th, and it's still the 30 of us here the following day on Sunday morning, that's fine. That's not why we're doing that out there. That's not our purpose in doing that. Um, If a whole slew of people start coming to yoga classes every single week and never step foot in the church on Sunday, that's fine. That's not why we're doing that. Um, But those are the things that thriving churches do is they still connect with the community regardless of what's happening on Sunday morning. So that stuff is very important. Get that out to folks. But also move your prayer life into the streets this week. So we have been praying each week with prayer prompts. We have been um, praying for our community, for our congregations, for the future, to listen to God. Take that into the streets. I know a lot of you are walkers, and many of you have dogs that I'm sure need to be walked. So this can fit very naturally into your life. But go on a prayer walk. Go on a walk where your intention is to pray for the community. Um, If you're not a walker or you struggle to walk, it might be your walk is your porch. And that's okay, too. Um, Wherever it is that you're able to be. But get out as much as you can. 
And if you run into people you don't know, say hello. Don't invite the strangers to church. That will scare them away. But say hello and get to know them. Uh, If the conversation naturally goes to church, embrace it and run with it. But otherwise, don't don't go there right away. Um, You don't want to hit them with a sledgehammer first time around. But ask them things like, what do they need or want in the community? What do they think is good about the community? What do they think needs to be improved in the community? Sometimes when we talk to neighbors who've been in the neighborhood longer than us or who've come in more recently than us, they say things that surprise us, that we didn't even realize about the neighborhood or we perceived very differently. What do they think the neighborhood needs that would help it to improve? And if you need a buddy for your walk, Call me. I will go with you on your prayer walk. Okay? Um, Call another member of the congregation. They'll walk with you. And I'm not giving you homework that I'm not doing. Rebecca and I, this is news to her, just for the record, are going to be doing this in the next couple of weeks as well. Um, Sorry to spring that on you like that. Um, But we'll be doing this as well. I'm not asking you to do anything I'm not willing to do. I'm not asking you anything um, that I don't feel is important enough for me to take time out to do as well. And the most important thing for you to be doing during this time is praying for the community. So friends, let us pray now for our community. Lord God, we pray for guidance for our church leaders as they nurture your congregation and seek to serve those around them. We pray congregations would welcome neighbors with open arms We hope for residents to find a place to experience community with the body of Christ as they grow spiritually. And God, we ask for a flourishing community where neighbors learn to love each other and come to know Jesus. We pray that we can be good stewards of your love to each one of our neighbors. We ask that you help us to learn from our community, and may it be a place where all are welcomed. Amen.